303 Creative, LLC, The Ellenist, decided June 30, 2023. Justice Sotomayor, with whom Justice Kagan and Justice Jackson join. Dissenting. Five years ago, this court recognized the general rule that religious and philosophical objections to gay marriage do not allow business owners and other actors in the economy and in society to deny protected persons equal access to goods and services under a neutral and generally applicable public accommodations law. See Masterpiece Cake Shop v. Colorado Civil Rights Commission, 2018. The court also recognized the serious stigma that would result if purveyors of goods and services who object to gay marriages for moral and religious reasons, were allowed to put up signs saying no goods or services will be sold if they will be used for gay marriages. Today, the court, for the first time in its history, grants a business open to the public a constitutional right to refuse to serve members of a protected class. Specifically, the court holds that the First Amendment exempts a website design company from a state law that prohibits the company from denying wedding websites to same-sex couples if the company chooses to sell those websites to the public. The court also holds that the company has a right to post a notice that says no wedding websites will be sold if they will be used for gay marriages. What a difference five years makes, and not just at the court. Around the country, there has been a backlash to the movement for liberty and equality for gender and sexual minorities. New forms of inclusion have been met with reactionary exclusion. This is heartbreaking. Sadly, it is also familiar. When the civil rights and women's rights movements sought equality in public life, Some public establishments refused. Some even claimed, based on sincere religious beliefs, constitutional rights to discriminate. The brave justices who once sat on this court decisively rejected those claims. Now the court faces a similar test. A business open to the public seeks to deny gay and lesbian customers the full and equal enjoyment of its services based on the owner's religious belief that same-sex marriages are false. The business argues, and a majority of the court agrees, that because the business offers services that are customized and expressive, the free speech clause of the First Amendment shields the business from a generally applicable law that prohibits discrimination in the sale of publicly available goods and services. That is wrong. Profoundly wrong. As I will explain, the law in question targets conduct, not speech, for regulation, and the act of discrimination has never constituted protected expression under the First Amendment. Our Constitution contains no right to refuse service to a disfavored group. I dissent. Part 1 Section A A public accommodations law is a law that guarantees to every person the full and equal enjoyment of places of public accommodation without unjust discrimination. 
the American people, through their elected representatives, have enacted such laws at all levels of government. The Federal Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990 prohibit discrimination by places of public accommodation on the basis of race, color, religion, national origin, or disability. All but five states have analogous laws that prohibit discrimination on the basis of these and other traits, such as age, sex, sexual orientation, and gender identity, and numerous local laws offer similar protections. The people of Colorado have adopted the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act, CADA, which provides, It is a discriminatory practice and unlawful for a person directly or indirectly to refuse, withhold from, or deny to an individual or group because of disability, race, creed, color, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, marital status, national origin, or ancestry, the full and equal enjoyment of the goods, services, facilities, privileges, advantages, or accommodations of a place of public accommodation. This provision, known as the Act's Accommodation Clause, applies to any business engaged in sales to the public. The Accommodation Clause does not apply to any church, synagogue, mosque, or other place that is principally used for religious purposes. In addition, CADA contains what is referred to as the Act's Communication Clause, which makes it unlawful to advertise that services will be refused, withheld from, or denied, or that an individual is unwelcome at a place of public accommodation based on the same protected traits. In other words, just as a business open to the public may not refuse to serve customers based on race, religion, or sexual orientation, so too the business may not hang a sign that says, no blacks, no Muslims, no gays. A public accommodations law has two core purposes. First, the law ensures equal access to publicly available goods and services. For social groups that face discrimination, such access is vital. All the more so if the group is small in number or if discrimination against the group is widespread. Equal access is mutually beneficial. Protected persons receive equally effective and meaningful opportunity to benefit from all aspects of life in America, and society in return receives the benefits of wide participation in political, economic, and cultural life. Second, a public accommodations law ensures equal dignity in the common market. Indeed, that is the law's fundamental object, to vindicate the deprivation of personal dignity that surely accompanies denials of equal access to public establishments. This purpose does not depend on whether goods or services are otherwise available. Discrimination is not simply dollars and cents, hamburgers and movies. It is the humiliation, frustration, and embarrassment that a person must surely feel when he is told that he is unacceptable as a member of the public 
because of his social identity. It is equally the inability to explain to a child that regardless of education, civility, courtesy, and morality, he will be denied the right to enjoy equal treatment. When a young Jewish girl and her parents come across a business with a sign out front that says, No dogs or Jews allowed, the fact that another business might serve her family does not redress that stigmatizing injury. Or put another way, the hardship Jackie Robinson suffered when on the road with his baseball team was not an inability to find some hotel that would have him. It was the indignity of not being allowed to stay at the same hotel as his white teammates. To illustrate, imagine a funeral home in rural Mississippi agrees to transport and cremate the body of an elderly man who has passed away and to host a memorial lunch. Upon learning that the man's surviving spouse is also a man, however, the funeral home refuses to deal with the family. Grief-stricken and now isolated and humiliated, the family desperately searches for another funeral home that will take the body. They eventually find one more than 70 miles away. This ostracism, this otherness is among the most distressing feelings that can be felt by our social species. Preventing the unique evils caused by acts of invidious discrimination in the distribution of publicly available goods, services, and other advantages is a compelling state interest of the highest order. Moreover, a law that prohibits only such acts by businesses open to the public is narrowly tailored to achieve that compelling interest. The law responds precisely to the substantive problem which legitimately concerns the state. The harm from status-based discrimination in the public marketplace. This last aspect of a public accommodations law deserves special emphasis. The law regulates only businesses that choose to sell goods or services to the general public. Some public accommodations laws, such as the Federal Civil Rights Act, list establishments that qualify, but these establishments are ones open to the public generally. A public accommodations law does not force anyone to start a business or to hold out the business's goods or services to the public at large. The law also does not compel any business to sell any particular good or service. But if a business chooses to profit from the public market, which is established and maintained by the state, the state may require the business to abide by a legal norm of non-discrimination. In particular, the state may ensure that groups historically marked for second-class status are not denied goods or services on equal terms. The concept of a public accommodation thus embodies a simple but powerful social contract. A business that chooses to sell to the public assumes a duty to serve the public without unjust discrimination. Section B. The legal duty of a business open to the public to serve the public without unjust discrimination is deeply rooted in our history. The true power of this principle, however, lies in its capacity to evolve, 
as society comes to understand more forms of unjust discrimination and hence to include more persons as full and equal members of the public. 1. At common law, innkeepers, smiths, and others who made profession of a public employment were prohibited from refusing, without good reason, to serve a customer. Public employment meant a business in which the owner has held himself out as ready to serve the public by exercising his trade. Take, for example, Lane v. Cotton, the leading English case on the subject cited over and over again in the 19th century in the United States. There, Lord Chief Justice Holt explained, Wherever any subject takes upon himself a public trust for the benefit of the rest of his fellow subjects, he is eo ipso, bound to serve the subject in all the things that are within the reach and comprehension of such an office, under pain of an action against him. If on the road a shoe fall off my horse, and I come to a smith to have one put on, and the smith refuse to do it, an action will lie against him, because he has made profession of a trade which is for the public good, and has thereby exposed and vested an interest of himself in all the king's subjects that will employ him in the way of his trade. That is to say, a business's duty to serve all comers derived from its choice to hold itself out as ready to serve the public. This holding out rationale became firmly established in early American law. The majority is therefore mistaken to suggest that public accommodations, or common carriers, historically assumed duties to serve all comers because they enjoyed monopolies or otherwise had market power. Tellingly, the majority cites no common law case espousing the monopoly rationale. That is because nowhere in the relevant case law is monopoly suggested as the distinguishing characteristic. 2. After the Civil War, some states codified the common law duty of public accommodations to serve all comers. Early state public accommodation statutes prohibited discrimination based on race or color. Yet the principle was at times stated more broadly to provide a remedy against any unjust discrimination to the citizen in all public places. In 1885, Colorado adopted an act to protect all citizens in their civil rights, which guaranteed full and equal enjoyment of certain public facilities to all citizens, regardless of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. A decade later, the state expanded the requirement to apply to all other places of public accommodation. Congress, too, passed the Civil Rights Act of 1875, which established that all persons within the jurisdiction of the United States shall be entitled to the full and equal enjoyment of the accommodations, advantages, facilities, and privileges of inns, public conveyances on land or water, theaters, and other places of public amusements, applicable alike to citizens of every race and color, regardless of any previous condition of servitude.
This court, however, struck down the Federal Civil Rights Act of 1875 as unconstitutional in the civil rights cases of 1883. Southern states repealed public accommodation statutes and replaced them with Jim Crow laws, and state courts construed any remaining right of access in ways that furthered de jure and de facto racial segregation. Full and equal enjoyment came to mean separate but equal enjoyment. The result of this backsliding was the replacement of a general right of access with a general right to exclude in order to promote a racial caste system. In time, the civil rights movement of the mid-20th century again demanded racial equality in public places. In 1963, Two decades after then-Howard University law student Polly Murray organized sit-ins at cafeterias in Washington, D.C., a diverse group of students and faculty from Tougaloo College sat at Woolworth's lunch counter in Jackson, Mississippi. For doing so, they were violently attacked by a white mob. Around the country, similar acts of protest against racial injustice some big and some small, sought to create such a crisis and foster such a tension that the country would be forced to confront the issue. That year, Congress once more set out to eradicate discrimination in places of accommodation and public facilities, notwithstanding this court's previous declaration of a federal public accommodations law to be unconstitutional. Congress believed, rightly, that discrimination in places of public accommodation, the injustice of being arbitrarily denied equal access to those facilities and accommodations which are otherwise open to the general public, had no place in this country, the country of the melting pot, of equal rights, of one nation and one people. It therefore passed Title II of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which declares, All persons shall be entitled to the full and equal enjoyment of the goods, services, facilities, privileges, advantages, and accommodations of any place of public accommodation, without discrimination on the ground of race, color, religion, or national origin. In enacting this landmark civil rights statute, Congress invoked the holding-out rationale from antebellum common law. One who employed his private property for purposes of commercial gain by offering goods or services to the public must stick to his bargain. This bargain, America would soon realize, had long excluded half of society. Women, though having won the right to vote half a century earlier, were not equal in public. Instead, a separate spheres ideology had assigned women to the home and men to the market. Women were excluded from restaurants, bars, civic and professional organizations, financial institutions, and sports. Just as it did for the civil rights struggle, public accommodations served as kindling for feminist mobilization. In response to a movement for women's liberation, 
numerous states banned discrimination in public accommodations on the basis of sex. Colorado was the first state to do so. In the decades that followed, the nation opened its eyes to another injustice. People with disabilities, though inherently full and equal members of the public, had been excluded from many areas of public life. This exclusion worked harms not only to disabled people's standards of living, but to their dignity, too. So Congress, responding once again to a social movement, this time against the subordination of people with disabilities, banned discrimination on that basis and secured by law disabled people's equal access to public spaces. The centerpiece of this political and social action was the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, or ADA. Title III of the ADA provides that no individual shall be discriminated against on the basis of disability in the full and equal enjoyment of the goods, services, facilities, privileges, advantages, or accommodations of any place of public accommodation. Not only have public accommodations laws expanded to recognize more forms of unjust discrimination, such as discrimination based on race, sex, and disability, such laws have also expanded to include more goods and services as public accommodations. What began with common inns, carriers, and smiths has grown to include restaurants, bars, movie theaters, sports arenas, retail stores, salons, gyms, hospitals, funeral homes, and transportation networks. Today, laws like Colorado's cover any place of business engaged in any sales to the public and any place offering services to the public. Numerous other states extend such protections to businesses offering goods or services to the general public. This broader scope, though more inclusive than earlier state public accommodations laws, is in keeping with the fundamental principle rooted in the common law but alive and blossoming in statutory law that the duty to serve without unjust discrimination is owed to everyone, and it extends to any business that holds itself out as ready to serve the public. If you have ever taken advantage of a public business without being denied service because of who you are, then you have come to enjoy the dignity and freedom that this principle protects. We've come to the end of part one of this opinion, but don't worry, next episode will pick up right where this episode left off. Until then... Thanks for listening to What SCOTUS Wrote Us.